This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of For Real is sponsored by Book Riot's email newsletters. Did you know that Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre, including nonfiction, as well as book news and deals? Sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. There's Today in Books, our daily newsletter summing up the most interesting headlines from the book world each day. And don't forget about True Story, which is written by Alice and covers everything new and interesting in the world of nonfiction. We've also got newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA lovers, mystery and thriller aficionados, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash newsletters to sign up for the newsletters that are most interesting to you. That's bookriot.com slash newsletters. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukara, and fellow writer Alice Burton. We're recording this week's episode on Saturday, January 2nd. Hello, Alice, and happy, happy new year. Happy 2021 to you. Hooray! We have made it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Against all odds. Yeah. Uh, how are you doing on this day? You know, I'm, I had, I took, I worked only half days last week. So like the week between Christmas and New Year's, and that was extremely relaxing to me. I had yesterday off from work and got some stuff done, kind of reset myself for a new year. I started my new bullet journal. So I'm feeling much more zen than I have in many weeks, even though like the flipping of the calendar is not automatically mean all of our problems are solved. It kind of feels like it, though. I mean, there really is something to the whole like, not like new year, new me necessarily, but <laughs> just like it feeling like, okay, we get like another chance. And yeah. uh, and that's just a nice little hopeful thing that uh, people in the past gave us. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you, calendars. I do want to follow up real quick um, with a book that I wish that I had finished in time to include in our favorite books of 2020 uh, because I read it right at the end of the year. I think I finished it on like the 28th and it is going to be among my favorite books of the year. Um, and so that is Why Fish Don't Exist by Lulu Miller, uh, which came out, I think, in like April, and I talked about it on the podcast. But um, it's a book that is about uh, this uh, naturalist who worked to categorize fish primarily. Um, but it's really about a lot more than that. It's about mental illness and depression and finding order in chaos and all of these other just like really beautiful themes. And I just found it extremely impactful as I was thinking through like what the year had been. And there's a section at the end where uh, Lulu Miller talks about just like connection and how we are beholden to each other and how those connections to each other are part of the ways in which we fight against the chaos. And it just, it made me sob <laughs> as I was reading it in my bed. And I just, I was very moved by this book. So uh, it was, a, for me, a really good book to end the year on. So that was Why Fish Don't Exist by Lulu Miller one of my favorites of 2020 that I didn't get to talk about. That's so nice. Like, I mean, that's, it's just great to hear when a book uh, moves you that much, like yeah. just any person. Yeah. I did start imagining some like grumpy man from 1875 being like, why can't a book about fish just be about fish? 
Well, the other part that was really fascinating about it was like, it starts out being this book about a guy categorizing fish, but then it gets like way more interesting and complicated than that. And he turns out to be, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything because like part of the real, real joy of it is like unfolding this story, but it just, it becomes way more complicated and interesting than it initially sounds. So it, it was really good. Wow. Yeah. So speaking of, of books, do you have any like reading plans going into the new year? Any new goals or anything like that? Speaking of books is my favorite segue for <laughs> this, our nonfiction books podcast. I'm a professional. Come on. Do, do, do I have any reading plans? Um, it's definitely not to like, you know, read more than than this last year. This last year, I, I did my my most read books uh, ever. And I, I feel like it's it just it turns into a very stressful situation, right? If you're like mm-hmm. constantly trying to read more than the previous year, yeah, and eventually it would probably become um, untenable. Mm-hmm. So I think this year it's more going to be like, oh, I would love, and I I've said this before, so who knows? But I would love if I could read more books that I own and then mm-hmm. you know maybe like get rid of them. I know that you did a a good job of reading books that you already own this year. Because I follow you on Instagram. Yeah, I read a good chunk of books I own, but the like dirty little secret about that little stat is that a lot of them were books that I bought this year and then read, not books that I had previously purchased and then finally read this year. So like the number <laughs> of books that I had previously purchased and read this year was like 13, I think. So a lot of the new books were like actually actually new books but at least i at least i bought them and read them instead of buying them and putting them on a shelf to read later that's a big Um, deal (laughs) it was an improvement i think over previous years but not the i I don't deserve too much credit for it disagree um my one i think i haven't really sat down and set reading goals quite yet but the one i really that is in my head is about doing a better job of reading some of the like anti-racism and social justice books that i purchased last year um i read a few but there's a whole pile of them that I started or read parts of, and I would really like to actually be a person who finishes those and actually have finished them. So I have Just Mercy by Claudia Rankine is first on my list, and I'm going to try to make my way through that pile this year. So Nice. So yeah, we'll see. I guess uh, January something 2022, we'll find out how well we both did. <laughs> Uh, And so with that, we will share our first sponsor of this week's episode. Uh, We are sponsored by Bookmarks, a customizable journal to record your reading life. So meet your new reading buddy and all in one spot to record everything and anything book related. Inspired by bullet journaling, Bookmarks offers ideas for setting up a multitude of book tracking pages with a mix of fill-in prompts, charts, lists, and plenty of doc grid pages to customize. To help expand your literary horizons, the journal also includes a section of recommended reading lists compiled by Book Riot. Use bookmarks to jot down what you're currently reading, what's on your nightstand, your favorite quotes, new vocabulary, memorable characters, your reviews of recent reads, and more. And as a cool bonus, the backflap has a punch-out bookmark. Go to bookriot.com slash bookmarkstracker for your copy. All right, and so with that, we just have one little piece of nonfiction news. Um, an article, Alice, that you found that looked really, uh, was kind of a fun listing of books for the year. Oh, yeah. So LitHub put together an article called The Best Reviewed Nonfiction of 2020, which, you know, there are so many like best of lists and a lot of them are are pretty subjective. So I thought that it was kind of neat to have like a more objective, like these were just the best review mm-hmm. <laughs> like nonfiction works. Um, yeah, they have 10 on the full list. A lot of them I have definitely seen on like a lot of the, you know, best of the year. I think mm-hmm. that Notes from an Apocalypse by Mark O'Connell, I haven't seen very much. 
Same with The Man in the Red Coat by Julian Barnes. Kim, you've read you've read one of these, right, on this list? Yeah, I was reading through it and I was like, oh, apparently I do not read well-reviewed nonfiction. But yeah, notes from uh, Uncanny Valley was the one that I had actually finished. But yeah, like you said, you know, Vesper Flights by Helen McDonald is on here. A Promised Land by Barack Obama is on here, which, I, you know, is an epic that I started and haven't finished yet. But yeah, it's an interesting... It's an interesting look at books of the year to see like what got reviewed and then what those reviews actually like quantifying the reviews a little bit. Yeah, and we'll have that uh, linked in our show notes if you want to check it out. Perfect. All right. So uh, for this week's episode, we decided we're going to skip doing different segments and we're just going to focus on the most anticipated, some of our most anticipated nonfiction of the first half of 2021. So uh, we have 21 books we're going to try and talk about because the idea of 21 books to start 2021 is very satisfying to <laughs> to do. Um, and yeah, so we're just going to go through stuff that's coming out between now and June, uh, keeping in mind that like, as with anything, like pub dates can definitely change. So hopefully these will be coming out, but it's hard to it's hard to know what to expect. So, uh, Alice, your book, we're going to go through them in date order. So, uh, Alice, you are up first. Yeah, so January 5th, which is the day this episode comes out, I believe, is a White Feminism from the Suffragettes to Influencers and Who They Leave Behind by Koa Beck. I'm really excited about this. I've actually read part of it as, as a galley, and it just was really helpful in terms of making me as a white person and especially like as someone who is very into the history of the suffragettes and, you know, like women's history in general in America, take a, a long, hard look <laughs> at, um, at myself, at, at how I viewed that history in the past, at how it could be reinterpreted. From what I've read of it so far, it's really good for um, introspection and also taking a, a at the same time, wider look at white feminism and like how they choose, right? Like what, well, I guess how we choose if, if you're a white person, um, how we choose what the narrative is going to be, what the issues are that are being focused on. In in some ways, I think it's a it's a tie-in book with Mickey Kendall's Hood Feminism, which came out mm, in 2020, mm -hmm. right? Because it was that like, why are we focusing on these issues and leaving out these other issues? But I think this is more of a historical approach. And it's just really good from and I'm I'm excited that it's out this month. So White Feminism by Koa Beck. Yeah, I'm super glad you talked about that one. That's on my list too, but it feels like it's very much right in your wheelhouse. So yeah, <laughs> great pick to open up. My first pick is out January 12th, and it is um, kind of going along with that trend of having young adult adaptations of adult nonfiction, which I'm really excited about. And so this is a YA adaptation of The Beautiful Struggle by ta Coates. So The Beautiful Struggle is his 2009 memoir about his relationship with his father. He had a complicated relationship. Um, he writes about how his father saw him as too sensitive and lacking focus. Uh, his dad was a Vietnam veteran who'd been in the Black Panthers. And so he wanted to raise his sons to be proud black men equipped to deal with racism during this like very uh, difficult period. And so um, in the memoir and in this YA adaptation, he writes about kind of the challenges of having a father who has this like tough love approach. Um, he writes about some of his other extended family and how their life path kind of diverged from his in different ways um, and just kind of his his family story. Um, and so I, I have not read A Beautiful Struggle, but I am excited to see more YA adaptations of some of these adult books. I just think it's a really cool thing to, to do that. And I, I like picking them up because I think depending on the topic, they're a little bit more approachable. So um, that is That Beautiful Struggle, adapted for young adults by Ta-Nehisi Coates out January 12th. Dang, I, I just love a young adult adaptation. <laughs> I know. 
so exciting. I feel like I've said that multiple times before, but I just every time one comes out, I'm like, oh, it's like I don't have the time to read like the, you know, quote unquote adult version. But the young adult one is just like enough information for for what I need. Plus, there's just like so many good, good options. And yeah, that they're making them a little bit more accessible. I think it's cool. My next pick is January 26th, Let the Lord Sort Them, The Rise and Fall of the Death Penalty by Maurice Shama. So this book has already won an award and it's not out yet, which oh. I was like, that seems impressive. So it's it's the winner of the J. Anthony Lucas Work in Progress Award. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, Shama is a journalist and staff writer for The Marshall Project and this is talking about the rise and fall of capital punishment, focusing right on the United States and our um, long history with it. <laughs> it's just like, it's so weird when you look at, you know, a, a lot of other countries in the world and how they have, uh, of course, eliminated capital punishment and the death penalty and the United States is still doing it. So it's kind of like, why is that happening? What is the story with it? Um, in 1972, the Supreme Court said that the death penalty system violated the Constitution. And then there was like a big backlash about that. It says particularly in Texas. And that after executions resumed, Texas became the nationwide leader in carrying out the death penalty. So if you're interested in the history of why we do this, what has been going on with it, where we are now, check out Let the Lord Sort Them, The Rise and Fall of the Death Penalty by Maurice Shama. Oh, man, that sounds fascinating. And yeah, like very timely, too, given some of the things happening just nationally right now around the death penalty and appeals like for, for death row inmates and stuff. So awesome. Very good pick. My next pick also comes out on January 6th, and it is, or January 26th, excuse me, and it is Let Me Tell You What I Mean by Joan Didion. And this is a collection of 12 of her essays written between 1968 and 2000, um, essays that have been never put together into one book that offer a, quote, glimpse into the mind and process of a legendary figure. So there are essays that show off her reporting, her, her voice and her gaze, and some of her uh, writing. And I... I love Joan Didion. Like, I think she is so sharp and just has this very um, specific way of looking at the world. And I really love, I love her, her essays in particular. So I'm excited um, to kind of, there to be just another collection of essays to look at. So topics in this one are everything from newspapers to um, not getting into Stanford, uh, the act of writing, um, some admiration of Ernest Hemingway and a story about Martha Stewart uh, and just really interesting kind of I'm curious to see like if there are essays that have been previously published like why are they being gathered together in this way like what do the essays have to say to one another kind of when they're gathered together and yeah every time there's a new chance to get at Joan Didion I think it's exciting so that is let me tell you what I mean by Joan Didion out January 26th um, I saw that she also was talking about San Simeon which mm -hmm. uh, like the Hearst Castle which I is I always want to hear about <laughs> yeah because it's uh for, for those who don't know you know newspaper magnate of the turn of the century into the 19 teens William Randolph Hearst built a castle and had a like enormous pool and a zoo and all the stuff in in California and it now is a a very expensive tourist attraction <laughs> that yeah. you can tour that I absolutely will you know someday go to and pay for but it's it's really amazing. And so any kind of article about, especially Joan Didion, who 
I think the when I when I hear Joan Didion, I the immediate thing I think of is self-aware. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like she's just so she's so smart and she's I just yeah, I feel like that lens on something like uh Hearst and his weird house would be yeah, yeah. really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Very good point. So I have the next pick because we're going to date order. And so uh, that is 400 Souls, A Community History of African America, 1619 to 2019 by Igram X. Kendi and Keisha Blaine. And so this um, this one got on my radar because I saw it on Instagram because Ibram Kendi started sharing the contributors. And I saw it and I thought this just looks completely fascinating. So uh, this book starts in 1619 um, when a ship called the White Lion disgorges some 20 and odd Negroes onto the shores of Virginia, uh, quote, inaugurating the African presence in what would become the United States. So it's the start of slavery through 2019, a history of that time. But what's cool about this one, I think, in particular, is that it is a community history. So there are 90 different writers, each of whom take a five-year period of that 400-year span and write about just that period of American history and slavery. And so they're kind of taking it on in different ways. It says there are historical essays, short stories, personal vignettes, and polemics, and they approach it from different perspectives as either historical icons or story, undrilled stories of ordinary people through places, laws, objects, and all of these different things. And I just, the, the, just the concept of that book sounds so interesting and fascinating to me. And the idea of bringing all of those different voices together to all be writing about the same thing, but from different perspectives and through those very brief little time periods. I just, it sounds super interesting and maybe an interesting kind of comparative or book to read alongside um, a Black women's history of the United States, which also does a similar kind of history of Black women in the United States over a period of time, although that doesn't have the same kind of community of voices. So um, this one is out of February. I think it sounds fascinating, and I am very excited to try and get a chance to read it. So that is 400 Souls, A Community History of African America by Ibram X, edited by Ibram X. Kendi and Keisha Blaine, out February 2nd. Gosh, that sounds really good like what a cool concept right yeah well and keisha blaine is such uh such an impressive scholar she's like mm. around our age which i guess at this oh, point gosh. like you know we're i know we're, we're in our <laughs> mid-30s so it should probably be less impressive to me that people are accomplishing things at this age <laughs> no like, it still impresses me but That's still so i know and she uh she published a book in 2018 uh called set the world on fire black nationalist women and the global struggle for freedom and is just Ooh. like a generally acclaimed scholar in this field so like nice. yeah that sounds really good okay my next book is made in china for prisoner and sos letter and the hidden costs of america's cheap goods by amelia pang i feel like the more that we are hearing about you know where our things come from that we are like it just like taking in kind of thoughtlessly the more that um I, at least, you know, have wanted to learn. I'm sure that other people have wanted to learn about them. And so having something like this come out, it just grabbed my interest. So the way that it starts, right, it's like in 2012, there was this uh, Oregon mother named Julie Keith who opened a package of Halloween decorations. And they were like $5, you know, like foam headstones at Kmart. But then uh, she found in it an SOS letter written in, in English by the prisoner who had made and packaged these things. <sighs> I know. So uh, Amelia Pang is an investigative journalist, and she 
shows you in this book uh, the labor camps that create the home goods that we buy at Kmart, the fast fashion we buy at H&M, and a large number of other products. And uh, mainly follows the life of Sun Yi, who is uh, the Chinese engineer who wrote the note after finding himself a political prisoner for joining a forbidden meditation practice and campaigning for the freedom to do so. So if you are interested in learning more, which, oh my goodness, um, again, that is Made in China by Amelia Pang. I've seen a couple of uh, book friends who are reviewers for different publications who have gotten advanced copies of this one, and every one of them has said that it's amazing. So it's on my list, too. That one sounds so good. So good. Awesome. Um, my next pick is also out February 2nd. It's called Animal Vegetable Junk, A History of Food from Sustainable to Suicidal by Mark Bittman. So I know Mark Bittman mostly because he's written a bunch of kind of how to cook cookbooks, but this is uh, not a cookbook. It's a a more narrative book, which I think he's also written some of those, but I haven't read any of them. But uh, this book is a history of food. So starting with how we hunted and gathered and how that explains kind of our emergence as a species, um, our different technologies related to food, our food systems, and then how those systems tell stories about who we are and how we settled and expanded and moved in different places around the world. And so And then it gets into the history of industrialization of food and how that changed agriculture and food production and how it is driving climate change and global health crises. So I don't think this one is going to be particularly uplifting, but I do think that a book that kind of gets at some of the bigger connections and impacts of our global food system is a a worthwhile read given everything else that's going on right now. So Animal Vegetable Junk, A History of Food from Sustainable to Suicidal by Mark Bittman, out February 2nd. I'm sure that this was on purpose, but when I first saw that title, I was like, isn't that already a book? And it's because uh I was thinking, right, Animal Vegetable Miracle by Barbara Kingsolver. That's interesting. Okay. My next pick, you know, we are still only in February. I know. We're not, we are hitting highlights, you guys. Yeah, there, there are, are so, many, so books. many books coming out. It's going to be great. So February 9th, Under a White Sky, The Nature of the Future by Elizabeth Colbert. So this is the author of The Sixth Extinction, which I have uh, talked a lot about on this mm-hmm. podcast. So really excited about this one. So Under a White Sky is talking about humanity's transformative impact on the environment and saying, okay, we have clearly done a lot of damage. So can we save it? Like, can we fix this? And she, if you read Sixth Extinction, right, she broke it up into different essays about different things that were experiencing a mass extinction, like different plants and animals, etc. Uh, So in this, she meets biologists who are trying to preserve the world's rarest fish, which lives in a single tiny pool in the middle of the Mojave, which already I'm like, I want to read that. Uh, Engineers who are turning carbon emissions to stone in Iceland. Australian researchers who are trying to develop a super coral that can survive on a hotter globe. And physicists who are contemplating shooting tiny diamonds into the stratosphere to cool the Earth. So like... This is, again, the reason that The Sixth Extinction made me feel hopeful, despite the title, is that it was that thing of no matter what the subject is, someone is interested in it and working on it. Mm -hmm. And so there are people who, like, were born and grew up and decided, I'm going to maybe try shooting tiny diamonds into the stratosphere (laughs) to cool the earth. And, like, that's just, that's amazing. So I just, like, I feel like her books make me 
feel better <laughs> about the mm-hmm. world and about life. So I was really psyched about it. Again, that's Under a White Sky by Elizabeth Colbert. Yes, that sounds awesome. And yeah, she's a beautiful writer. So that that's really fun, too. Like the writing is just really excellent in her book. So very good. Oh, yeah. All right. My next book is out March 2nd, and it's called A World Without Email, Reimagining Work in an Age of Communication Overload by Cal Newport. Um, And Cal Newport is an author who has done a bunch of books about kind of work and digital life. So the two he's probably best known for are Deep Work, which was about the idea of like really focusing and how do we make time for that. And uh, Digital Minimalism was about how like digital devices kind of distract us and are, are complicating our lives and how we can try to push back against that. So this book, A World Without Email, is about how email is (laughs) destroying work, basically. How it puts us in a state of constant anxious chatter in which nobody can disconnect, and so nobody has the cognitive bandwidth to perform substantive work. Um, And so he talks about how like email used to feel cutting edge, and now it has become sort of this disaster for our own productivity and it is like making us miserable because we are like not wired to be constantly communicating digitally like that so um looks at what an inbox driven workday looks like how we can try to think of other alternatives and what else we can do and so he's arguing for quote a workplace in which clear processes not haphazard messaging to find how tasks are identified assigned and reviewed and kind of looks at how getting rid of email could change the way we work uh which i just think sounds interesting and like not particularly feasible for the job that I do probably, but maybe there are companies and people who can imagine a world in which we do not have our days dictated by our email inboxes. So that is A World Without Email, Reimagining Work in an Age of Communication Overload by Cal Newport, which is out March 2nd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we get too much email. That's true. Uh, so many. I'm just, I just, I support this book. <laughs> March 9th. Yes. Okay. So also, if you listened to this podcast last year, you probably heard me talk about Agrippina, uh, the biography by Emma Southern. I it's so funny and it's it's so good. And she's doing things with history that I wish everyone was doing with history, but I'm very glad Emma Southern is. Uh, so her second book is out March 9th. It is called A Fatal Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Murder in Ancient Rome. And it's just like she takes imagine talking to a nerd. But like a really funny nerd. And that's a <laughs> seven talking about the classics and classical history. And so Agrippina did focus very specifically on Nero's mother, Agrippina, unsurprisingly. And this is a, a much broader story um, talking about how, you know, these stories that we hear from ancient Rome, a lot of them have to do with murder, right? Including, of course, Julius Caesar. And uh, Romulus killed Remus to found the city. Emperor Caligula was murdered. Claudius was murdered. Like all of these people. (laughs) Um, In a 50-year period, 26 emperors were murdered, which is obliquely referenced in the Futurama episode, My Three Sons, which is a side note and you should watch it if you haven't. (laughs) But anyway, it's saying what did killing mean in a city where gladiators fought to the death, right? For like Mm -hmm. entertainment. And so she looks at uh, what were considered homicides in Roman history, and then seeing, uh, based on how, like, basically, the fact that they were considered homicides, what that said about what was going on around them and the culture, and just, like, that's how she kind of approaches giving you a view into what 
at least her interpretation of Roman life was. So and and again, she's funny. So it's like all of this. And then you get to like feel like almost like you're reading a blog post in like 2010, but like a really well informed <laughs> one. Um, that's probably how I would characterize her writing. So again, that is A Fatal Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum by Emma Southern. That is an amazing title, I just have to say. Like, that made me legit laugh out loud when I first saw it in in the show notes. So So props for that. That's my incisive commentary. And let's uh, talk about our second sponsor real quick. It is To Be Honest by Michael Leviton, published by Abrams Press. Uh, What is this about? Great. So, To Be Honest is Michael Leviton's extraordinary account of being raised in a family he calls, quote, a little honesty cult. Interesting. So his parents' philosophy was to never lie, never withhold the truth, or uh, fail to speak your mind. And when he was young, this felt really liberating, but it had consequences, right? So friendships, on dates, at job interviews. It says, when honesty slowly poisoned a great romance, Michael decided there had to be something to lying after all. Uh, To Be Honest is a tender and darkly comic memoir about what it means and how it feels to tell more than the truth. This is in the vein of Augustin Burroughs running with scissors. Publishers Weekly gave it a starred review saying, uh, honestly, this thoroughly enjoyable <laughs> rye narrative is a winner. Yeah, that was good, Publishers Weekly. Uh, and it is on sale January 5th, wherever books are sold. To find out more information, go to abramsbooks.com slash to be honest. Thank you for sponsoring. That sounds kind of awesome. That really does. Yeah. <laughs> what a oh man what a difficult thing to like come out of as a child Whew, goodness all right uh so my next pick is another march 9th book and it's called the code breaker jennifer dudna gene editing and the future of the human race by walter isaacson so this one caught my eye because walter isaacson has done a bunch of really big biographies he did one of leonardo da vinci he did one of steve jobs and i feel like i only knew him as somebody who wrote giant biographies of men and so the fact that he's doing a giant biography centered around a woman, I thought that sounds really interesting and I might actually like be excited to read this one. So Jennifer Dudna is the a Nobel Prize winner who launched a revolution that will allow us to cure diseases, fend off viruses, and have healthier babies. And so her her huge contribution with her and her collaborators was to uh, come up with an invention that will let us edit DNA. And it's called CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R. And it opens a whole whole host of opportunities and challenges if we can start editing DNA. So um, it's connected to the race to create vaccines for COVID. It will hasten our transition to the next innovations. And so it is a story about her and her team and what made her try and discover the idea that you can even edit DNA in the first place and then what it might mean. And um, she is a leader in wrestling with these big issues, and she has also co-won the Nobel Prize in 2020. So it's a just a big biography of her and the idea of gene editing, which I think sounds really fascinating. So that is The Codebreaker, Jennifer Dudna, Gene Editing, and the Future of the Human Race by Walter Isaacson, out March 9th. I have no idea how to feel about gene editing. It feels like such a huge moral issue that I'm just like, uh... <laughs> Yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm interested to see how the book gets into that and, like, what it covers because I, I agree it's just, like, a whole – it's just, like, next level question, um, questions about everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so I also have the next book because it's out March 16th. Uh, it's called Already Toast, Caregiving and Burnout in America by Kate Washington. 
And so this is a memoir about a woman's struggle to care for her husband after he is diagnosed with cancer that spreads and becomes a whole like she because she goes from being a wife and a mother and a worker and all of those other things to just being a full-time caregiver for her husband um she helps keep him alive she helps coordinate his treatments doctors appointments administers drugs all of those different things and so it's a memoir of that experience but then it's also a bigger look at caregiving in america which is this whole system of unpaid labor of people who are having to keep family friends relatives and stuff afloat because the healthcare system isn't designed to really do that and so looking at both the kind of romanticization of care work as well as the realities of it through that um and i think this one is really timely too because um as baby boomers age and are entering assisted living and nursing homes and all those things we're seeing a lot of um people having to become caregivers who and families struggling with how to care for aging relatives so i think this one's really timely and uh, sounds like a really moving and interesting story so already toast caregiving and burnout in america by kate washington which is out march 16th oh my gosh i'm like definitely gonna read that that's uh it's very intense i'd also like how much does that probably also resonate with people this year when Mm -hmm. i first saw caregiving i was thinking honestly of of like taking care of children and stuff yeah Yeah, but um which i think you know also would apply especially with the unpaid part and mm-hmm. also just like a lot of the responsibility falling on women. Yes. But oh uh, gosh, it's cuz aren't didn't baby boomers have fewer children than cuz they had like a very large am I making that up? <laughs> I don't know. Millennials are having way fewer children. I thought that there was something where it's like we are at a point where we we don't have the support system below the generation to like take care of the generation mm. above them. But I feel like if if true, this fact that I may be made up, then that totally makes sense, right? That mm-hmm. it would be – I have a friend who – she's an only child and she's definitely worried about her mom getting older and she's like, all of this responsibility is going to be on me, mm-hmm. which sounds really hard. Yeah. Okay. On that cheerful note, let's go to the next <laughs> book. March 23rd, Night Rooms by Gina Nutt. You know, honestly, I don't remember what specifically – brought this title to my attention other than like scanning uh new titles coming out but the cover is very like 1940s pulp novel and it's a collection of essays and the angle it's it's a little dark just fyi but it quote weaves together fragmented images from horror films and cultural tropes to meditate on anxiety and depression suicide body image identity grief and survival so is, I mean, it's a lot, right? Those are some heavy topics. <laughs> but she's talking about whether competing in shopping mall beauty pageants, reflecting on childhood monsters and ballet lessons, or recounting dark cultural ephemera while facing grief and authenticity in the digital age. Uh, she, uh, it says her style echoes these subgenres that this highlights, right? So like mainly like the horror, the whole horror film angle. There's also uh, sort of themes about like the final girl. And it just... We have so many essay collections out now, but this really did look kind of different. And so I wanted to just highlight it. Uh, Again, that is Night Rooms by Gina Nutt. Yeah, the idea of the essays kind of echoing the form of the genre or subgenre that she's writing about sounds really interesting. It reminds me of Carmaria Machado's uh, essay collection that came out last year, I think. I think 
Uh, that was really kind of played around with that style too. So that that sounds fun. I bought that because of your great review of it, and I haven't read it yet, but I definitely own it. So that's the first step. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I also have the next book. So that is uh, March 23rd. We have a lot of good stuff coming out in March. The Whiteness of Wealth, How the Tax System Impoverishes Black Americans and How We Can Fix It by Dorothy A. Brown. And you might say, what makes Dorothy A. Brown qualified to talk about this? Well, she is a professor at Emory University School of Law and uh, received her LLM in taxation from New York University. So she's like, she just has a lot of info. Anyway, so she essentially became a, a tax lawyer originally to get away from race. She grew up in the South Bronx as a young black girl and saw how racism limited the lives of her family and neighbors. And so she really liked her law school classes because she was like, this is tax law. It's about numbers. Um, you just... There, you know, like she thought that race wasn't really involved, but said when she sat down to prepare tax returns for her parents, her parents who were a plumber and a nurse seemed to be paying an unusually high percentage of their income in taxes. So when she became a law professor, she was like, I want to find out why. Like, why is this happening? So in The Whiteness of Wealth, she looks at decades of research to show that tax law is not colorblind and specifically looks at Atlanta showing families across the economic spectrum whose stories demonstrate how American tax law rewards the preferences and practices of white people while pushing black people further behind. So this is like from attending college, getting married, to buying a home. Black Americans find themselves at a financial disadvantage compared to their white peers. I thought despite like the fact that when you hear about like taxes, it doesn't it either sound stressful or boring. <laughs> I thought that this book sounded really interesting mm -hmm. and um, was was psyched to be able to talk about it. So again, that is The Whiteness of Wealth by Dorothy A. Brown. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Like, yeah, I, I don't really feel like I have anything like <laughs> exciting to say about it, but just like that sounds like a really interesting approach to looking at like systemic inequality and how it kind of is part of all of these huge systems that we're dealing with. So yeah, awesome. Not awesome that it's part of it, but awesome pick. They, they get it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. There we go. Um, all right. So uh, next book is out March 30th, and it's called Every Day is a Gift by Senator Tammy Duckworth. And I'm not normally somebody who talks about politician memoirs, but I actually have two on our list because they were both from people that I think might actually have really interesting stories to tell. So Senator Tammy Duckworth is, she's a biracial daughter of an American father and a Thai Chinese mother. And so she grew up uh, overseas. And as a child, she dodged bullets. As her family fled war-torn Phnom Penh, she sold roses on the street in Hawaii to overcome hunger and homelessness. And uh, she eventually joined the army where she became one of the first female helicopter pilots at the start of Operation Iraqi Freedom. She served eight months before an RPG shot down her helicopter in an attack that took both of her legs and almost uh, killed her. She spent months recovering, learned to walk again, and then eventually ran for U.S. Senate after serving two terms as a U.S. representative. She's also the first woman to give birth while she was a sitting senator, which I think is just there's so many parts of her story that are fascinating, and I think it, uh, a memoir would just be a really interesting It'd just be interesting to hear more about that and the things that she has experienced and how she brings those experiences to her work in the Senate. So that is Every Day as a Gift by Senator Tammy Duckworth out March 30th. Uh, Senator Duckworth participated in the Pride Parade in Chicago. I have some really great photos of her when she 
<laughs> went past um, wearing a really fun outfit. So I'm really proud that she represents Illinois. That's amazing. Okay, I see that we are running out of time, so these last picks might be a little swifter in their their mm-hmm. discussion. But on April 6th, the book Pipe Dreams, The Urgent Global Quest to Transform the Toilet by Chelsea <laughs> Wald is out. This is recommended if you like Mary Roach. And it's basically a journalist looking into the future of the toilet uh, from creative uses for harvested biosolids to the engineers who are trying to bring safe sanitation to billions of people who currently do not have it. So this looks really good. Um, But again, Pipe Dreams by Chelsea Walt. It's another amazing title. Great. I know. (laughs) So funny. Um, All right. My next pick is also out April 6th called Broken in the Best Possible Way by Jenny Lawson. Um, So Jenny Lawson is the blogger. She has written several books. Um, People who follow her know she suffers from depression. So in this book, she explores, quote, her experimental treatment of transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is a way of trying to help uh, fight her depression. And I... She is so funny. I have read her books on audio because she is just a great narrator of her own story. So I'm excited about this one. It sounds, you know, like a difficult subject, but that she's going to tackle it with the same sense of like goofy and goof and humor that she has. So Broken in the Best Possible Way by Jenny Lawson. Oh, I haven't I haven't done her books on audio, but that sounds like a really good option. Yeah, she's fun on audio. Um, all right, next pick uh, out April 20th is Persist by Elizabeth Warren. Again, politician memoir, but also Elizabeth Warren is awesome. So it might be super interesting. So she didn't get into politics until she was in her 60s. Um, when she did join the Senate, she brought all kind of a lifetime of experience. And so in Persist, she writes about six of the perspectives that have influenced her. Um, so her perspective on the world as a mother, a teacher, a planner, a a learner and a woman and um yeah i just uh, nevertheless she persisted was one of the like big things of the last four years and so i'm excited to hear more from her so persist by elizabeth warren out april 20th oh that sounds good um april 27th we have white magic by elisa washuta she's a member of the cowlitz indian tribe and in this uh she talks about how there have been all of these um facsimiles of like native spiritual tools and occult trends right so there's like rose quartz and like ouija boards and all this stuff and uh there's a trigger warning for i would say abuse and addiction Uh, they talk about that and the thing and like drug treatment but she talks about learning actual basically learning how to harness actual like powers and interact with the spirits that her ancestors knew and then in the Essays, they sound really good. She talks about, uh, she interweaves this with like Twin Peaks and Oregon Trail 2 and uh, a YouTube video of Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham, which I hope it's the one I'm thinking of because it's really good. But anyway, it sounds really interesting and different and it just, I'm excited about it. So again, that is White Magic by Elisa Washuta. And also, okay, I saw this coming out. It was retweeted on Twitter. I follow a lot of um, Black women academics. And I had not heard of Olivette Otele, but she has a book coming out called African Europeans. And it's called African Europeans, an untold story. Oh, sorry, an untold history. It's coming out May 4th. And it's basically looking at, you know, people have long, when you see like um, people of color, specifically Black people in period dramas or something, people will be like, oh, that's that's like not historically correct. And like mm-hmm. there weren't black people living in Europe. And it's like, that's not true. So her thing says at least as early as the third century, right? So 200 CE, St. Maurice, an Egyptian, became leader of the legendary Roman Theban Legion. And since then, 
there have been encounters between those defined as African and those called European. So that's looking at like basically 2000 years. And I'm just really excited about it. So again, that's African Europeans and Untold History by Olivet Otelli. That sounds super fascinating, especially like you said, with the historical like arguments about, oh, we don't, there weren't black people there. And just being able to like say no, that's actually completely not true. Uh, that sounds that sounds awesome. All right, so uh, the final pick is uh, comes out in June, June fifteenth, and is the Cult of We. We work Adam Newman and the Great Startup Delusion by Elliot Brown and Maureen Farrell. And this is the definitive inside story of WeWork, its founder, and what the company's epic unraveling exposes about Silicon Valley's delusions and the financial system's desperate hunger to cash in. I love books about Silicon Valley companies going crazy and um, like things happening because people are keeping secrets and that that all these tech companies just like are pyramid schemes and all of that. This one, I don't know a lot about WeWork. Like I just for whatever reason like missed the whole what actually happened with that, which actually makes me more excited about this one because I think just like getting to watch or like read the whole thing and see the whole story in one piece will be kind of fascinating. Um, from what I can tell, like the book and the way that they've described it reminds me a little bit of um, Bad Blood and Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes and all of that. So I wonder if this is kind of the the Bad Blood version of the WeWork story. So yeah, that's out in June. I'm certain that we're going to hear more about it as it gets closer because everybody loves a good story about a tech mogul weirdo like losing everything <laughs> they in in the copy they actually cite they're like calling to mind the recent demise of oh, their yeah. house so i didn't even see that hopefully yeah well it'll have some similarities to bad blood yeah because bad blood is really like one of my favorites it's so good so if this is close to that uh it's by also by wall street journal reporters so i think that that will help as well and should be really good so the cult of we we work adam newman and the great startup delusion by elliot brown and marine farrell out in june 15th so there, phew, we sped through 21 books coming out in the first half of 21 that might be interesting or fun. So I will try to remember to bring those up on the podcast that are close to their publication dates. Thanks. So you don't have to just remember, but put those on your TBR, your Goodreads, your book wish list. And we have an exciting year of nonfiction ahead, I think, which is awesome. Uh, and so with that, we will close the podcast as we normally do by talking about the books we are reading right now. I am kind of in the middle of two nonfiction books right now. Uh, the first is Just Us by Claudia Rankine, which I mentioned earlier this year. Um, this was her or earlier this podcast. Uh, this is uh, her book that came out earlier this year about uh, race in the United States. Um, I'm like halfway through it right now. And it's it's so interesting because she's a poet. So there's some poetry, there's kind of writing and memoir and her own personal experience. But she's also bringing in lots of different um, documents and uh, paintings and all sorts of different things to kind of talk about race in the United States. So it's really fascinating. Um, and then I also am in the middle of Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times by Catherine May, which came out in November. And it's all about how we need to embrace winter and darkness and those things to retreat and find a time in ourselves to recoup and reemerge in the spring, uh, which feels appropriate for 2020 and the season so that's what i'm reading right now that absolutely feels appropriate for 2020 yeah no i think that wintering would be a great idea for all 
My current read is New Women of the New South, The Leaders of the Women's Suffrage Movement in the Southern States by Marjorie Sproul Wheeler. Um, I've had this checked out from the library for a long time and was recently like, uh, should I really be focusing on, you know, like the woman's suffrage story from the South? Because it's it's pretty racist. But this book was written in like 1993. I started it the other day and I was like, oh, it actually is very much like this history is very racist and like is not Mm -hmm. approaching it from any kind of like here's women to highlight, you know, in like the Southern. I mean, it's also talking about that, but it also is saying why suffrage like women's suffrage was such a a slow to catch on thing Mm. um, in the South, what the story was that was being told in a lot of Southern states and kind of what the power structure was and how they were keeping suffrage out of um, politics there, or at least we're very much trying to. And so, oh, it also talks about the complicity of the Northern women basically using racism to try to get white women in the South to support women's mm-hmm. suffrage. So for that reason, I'm I'm really interested in, in, you know, seeing what the rest of what she has to say. So again, that is New Women of the New South by Marjorie Sproul Wheeler. And with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. And if you have a few minutes, we would love it if you would take time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps people find us more easily. And then while you're there, you can subscribe so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. So with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.